Hello, I'm Guy Garvey. Welcome back to a Yesterday podcast special with Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis. They've collaborated on the film Yesterday, which stars Himesh Patel and Lily James. In part one, we asked them about their favourite of each other's work and how they pitched the film to an audience. In this part, Danny talks about the film's necessary realism, how the pair first began their relationships with the Beatles and what a world without their timeless music would be like. Plus, we'll get to hear what their favourite Beatles songs are. But first, here's Danny on the film's themes. We first met on the Olympics, and one of the things about the Olympics was, and it's sort of one of the hidden things about it, but it's why it culminated in Paul McCartney performing at the end, was that I had this thing about songwriters. Um, I had this idea that what they were writing weren't really songs. They were songs, but they were part of us. These songs were part, they're just part of us. And we don't really understand it yet, whether it's epigenetics or whatever it is, that there's something that implanted in our DNA is these tunes, really, that they're water, or in the way that water's meant to have memory, or things we just don't understand yet fully, and that they are the ultimate embodiment of that, really. There's this extraordinary idea in the film, for me, that the songs are taken away from people, and when they're reintroduced to them, you feel like you've come home, they've been brought back to you, and that's his redemption. He's tempted to steal for his own vainglorious reasons, but that's his redemption, is that he gives them back to the people whose songs they are. Because two of them have passed away already, it won't be, you know, whenever they've all passed away, the songs will still be with us and still be part of us. I love that idea in the film, and then it's connected to, when he knows how to do that, is when he realises what his real destination is and it's Ellie, that's his real destination in life, which he's avoided. And I love that cherishment, that love, really. I've always, I'm a sucker for that, and I think it's, they say we live in a burning house, the thing you must save is love, or something like that. And I, th- I love that about the, I love that about the film. Um, well, I, I mean, it, for me, that's the luck of it, which is that I've clearly, for some pathological reason, very interested in the finding of love and the importance of sort of tenderness and family and all those things. And, you know, and I had one other idea for a film and then it was really purely that. And so it's great that there is this whole other half in this film, which is about the music and, you know, the way you just described it, which is that you deal with the whole issue of the music and the theft and the soul of it. And then you come back to the love. A normal movie of mine, you'd just be dealing with that issue so I kind of love the fact that it's got the two themes that it really is about music and really is about the Beatles and ownership and things like that I mean I think somewhere in there although I don't know quite how much I thought about it somewhere in there I think is a question of you know imposter syndrome which I think is all of us are thinking all the time you know can you actually do you actually know what you're doing and I think that probably rings something (laughs) of a bell And then the subject I've become increasingly interested in is just the question of how to spend our time, you know, and how to live your life and what has value in it. And I keep just coming back to family, friends, love and the place you feel comfortable. It ends exactly where it begins. So how important was authenticity and realism to Danny? For for obvious reasons, obviously, because the Beatles come from a a seaside port, town, you know, city, whatever. I was quite keen to set it in Lowestoft and Galston, which is this extraordinary town south of Great Yarmouth. It was Brighton in Edwardian times and then has gone into, has fallen away since then. And 
But I was very keen to actually get that sense of the seaside and not like pretty, pretty seaside, although those, those places are like Goldstone's Beach. It's just a wonderful beach. But they feel like working beaches, working towns, really. And I love the fact that he, that he came from there, really. That's what I mean by realism in terms of that. Obviously, we're making a romantic comedy or a kind of a romantic comedy. So there's a certain amount of fantasy in it as well, but not that much. She's a school no, teacher. No, uh, yeah, I think... And, and, and he's, he's doing, he's doing kind of like zero-hour contract jobs. You said to us also, I need to know a lot more about Suffolk. And, I and in the original draft, you said, I'm not sure. I quite know what jobs the people do and yeah. how people there feel about things and stuff like that. So I think that was important. I mean, I think... I feel as though the, the lucky mixture, if we pulled it off, is sort of a lot of realism. The songs are often done in a very low-key way, just with a guitar. And yet I think that your gegenpress and thing means that at moments you can intensify and have a huge amount of fun with a situation that you never stop being realistic. So everything that happens in his bedroom yeah. It's quite heightened, a lot of noise and editing and movement uh, around there, and yet it's definitely an attic bedroom of a boy in Galston, as it yeah. were. You know, So yeah. I think it's an interesting mixture, but we certainly hung on to the idea that we wanted it to be real in a way which, as it were, what's that rather, Bruce Almighty, which I rather love, or Big, I suspect, are not as... Really, I think perhaps they were having more fun with a more heightened view of things. I think we did try and keep a sort of realistic Britishness about it. And then the realism, because people talk about realism, but the realism is also the actors root it ultimately. And they kind of like, and you get the ones to push it. We were very lucky to get Joel and Kate McKinnon. Because they take... They push it a bit. They push it, as, they stretch it as far as they can. And they know if they've got it right, because it'll be entertaining, they'll take people with them to those, to those extremes. And yet they'll still remain as believable, um, as a believable friend and as a believable monster, really, yeah. from LA. I mean, we must talk about Himesh and how interesting what we've got in the end there is Himesh is a less... I don't want to insult Hugh Grant by using the word arch. <laughs> uh, but do you know what I mean? It is a more modern, more ironic, more realistic. And you were very keen on that. And certainly it was very sweet that Lily came on and auditioned and her instincts were for a tremendous realism and truth. And so I think that those two central performances are very key to how realistic or truthful the film feels. Yeah, he's a very, he's a young modern, I mean, he's 27, I think, but he's, a, he's got a modern sensibility about comedy, hasn't he? He's, he? It's a kind of flatness that he just lets it, and you just have to hang on in his eyes for a beat longer <laughs> to get there. Funny it is with that warehouse manager at the beginning, yeah. for instance, when he offers him the job, and he just looks at him for like, that you could be offered this job full time. I love that comic approach of his like that. But she, she also, she's lights up the sky. I was amazed. She did come in an audition, and I, and I love reading with them side by side because you feel it off them. It's because I come from the theatre. You feel it off them straight away. You could tell she was an absolute thoroughbred who could do anything you wanted. If you could think of stuff, she'll do it for you. You've just got to think of stuff for her. But she also helped him, I think, because she took some of the 
pressure off the fact that he was leading a film for the first time, because that's an enormous pressure. I think the fact that he, he was good at the songs helped him cope with the fact that you're leading a film, because you know it's, we laugh about Hugh Grant, but he's wonderful how to lead a film. You know, it's an extra responsibility. There's something special about that extraness they have to bring to it to actually command the whole film and guide you through it. But we mustn't underestimate the fact that he did, you know, he has been, he's done a lot of acting. He was in EastEnders for nine years and everything like that. But when we first thought of doing Notting Hill, I very much didn't want to cast Hugh because I thought the plot was total unknown right. Julia Roberts, as it were. And it would have been great. And then we auditioned five people and thought, oh, for God's sake, I can't be bothered to go through this rigmarole again. Let's just cast you. It'll be great. <laughs> um, but in a film about someone who's meant to be an unknown musician from Suffolk who becomes the most famous musician in the world and gets to know Ed Sheeran, it's kind of delightful that outside the UK, at least, no one will have seen Himesh's face before. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. And that's a kind of realism too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's... So what would the world be like without the Beatles' music? Well, there's a line in the film which says, a world without the Beatles would be infinitely worse. And I think about it as simply as that. My life would be infinitely less good. There's like a year of joy if you tied it all in together. You know, they say, how long have you been asleep? It's 12 years of my life. Well, there's about three years of my life when I've enjoyed the Beatles. So I think things would be less lovely. It'd be like a world without 52 of the best flowers. You know, <laughs> so you will have walked around and not seen any roses. So what would the world be like without the Beatles? Impossible to explain, I think. How could you explain their, their impact on everything is so pervasive that I don't know how you'd ever... I don't know how you'd ever unravel it. So in that way, our film is a complete fantasy because we managed to depict a world which appears to be normal, yet without the Beatles. How could it be? If you look at our time historically, you think about we have a, like a half century of war. This is what I believe anyway. We have this musical movement. It does two things. It takes people away from suffering and towards pleasure, and it takes people towards youth, really and the interests of youth, like love and devotion, and they are responsible for that. The shift that they create in us, how long were they together? Just a few years. Historically, it's just extraordinary, and we've never gone back. They tilted the world off its axis or onto a new axis, and we've continued down that path since then. Paul Greengrass, who is a very clever man, I once said to him, what are the most important moments in the history of broadcasting? And he said, well, number one is obviously the moon landing because seeing the, well, actually the shot of the world from space. From space, yeah. Because he says that reinterprets who we are and how we relate. Yeah. And he said number two was the Beatles singing All You Need Is Love on the first ever global broadcast. Yeah, the global broadcast. Because the idea that that should be the message that goes out to the world yeah. from a group of young people in a studio, that that is the single yeah. statement that is most relevant. He thought that was number two. Yeah. Most of us remember hearing the band's music for the first time, so what about Danny and Richard? I'm a twin. I've got a twin sister, Maria, and we have a younger sister, Bernadette. And when we were eight years old, I vividly remember playing the Beatles under the bedsheets. And my sister, Maria, would be Paul, because she fancied him. Therefore, I was John. And 
Bernadette was three years younger, was lifted. She could be Ringo or George. It didn't matter to us. <laughs> then I remember that so vividly, playing the Beatles. And downstairs, the seven inches were there, and you could hear them sometimes, but we were upstairs in bed, and, but we were playing the Beatles. Now, how that got into our consciousness to be, I'm John, and I'm throwing things at you, and you're Paul, and you're throwing things at me, incredible as an eight-year-old. That's yeah. my first memory of them. Okay, and that idea that they're not only people you listen to, but people who completely ignited your imagination. I mean, it's so complicated, isn't it? Because as it were, my match for that is I remember whenever I try to get to sleep, you know, and I often try to get to sleep by thinking a thought or a dream. It was always, it's my sister Bindi's birthday. I say, you know, all the presents have been given. They say, Richard, did you get a present? There's not a wrapped thing there. I say, no, I didn't, but actually I have got something. And I go to the cupboard door in my parents' bedroom, open it up and the Beatles are there instead of, <laughs> there my, are. Instead of my mom's clothes. <laughs> uh, so they were kind of they igniting a world of imagination rather than just being yes. nice tunes. I think that's it. So I mean, I remember it didn't even occur to us to buy tickets. The Beatles came to Sweden and I stood for three days outside the Foresta Hotel where they were staying just on the off chance they came out the balcony. And that was, you know, seven or eight. Yeah. Just the thought of a glimpse of them. The dressing room that we filmed in that we pretend is the Pier Hotel dressing room in the film, that was a dressing room at a theatre in Great Yarmouth. And the Beatles appeared there in that theatre in 1964. And there's, they have a poster up about them. That was amazing to think they were probably in this dressing room. Oh. As tiny young men. <laughs> I mean, one of the... That is them. I mean, look, they're, they're just so omnipresent. I think that my mindset creatively was set by the Beatles. So what I've tried to do in the films that I've written is create a world of sort of joy and ecstasy eventually. I want people to have a lovely time and they come out of it sort of feeling explosively that things are happy. And I think one of the remarkable things about the Beatles music, even their sad and serious songs, which really are songs like Help and Hey, You've Got to Hide Your Love Away, and there are lots of sad songs, but somehow they fill you with a kind of hope. And I think they've been my creative model. They've been the mood that I was trying to catch. I'll never be, you know, within a thousand yards of them. But it was that tone which I think I've been going for. And I think one of the things that's rather lovely about having made a film about them is in a funny way, the one area in which the Beatles are perhaps slightly underrepresented is in their videos. Mm. Because they were really before that yeah, time. Really. So the movies are great, but the songs aren't all captured visually in your mind. There isn't a perfect version yeah. like there would be now for a pop star. Yeah. And that does leave a bit of latitude for you to, to, make, <laughs> to make a film about that. So when we were doing the Olympics, the opening ceremony, we had the Arctic Monkeys did one of their songs. They did Come Together. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was wonderful. And then McCartney, he was meant to be a secret at the end. It was pretty obvious that you'd guess it, but he was meant to be a secret at the end. So they could only do their sound checks after midnight when all the helicopters had gone from overhead. So he came in after midnight and did um, a sound check. And everybody had gone home because the overtime was very strict. It was like trying to reduce the overtime, the costs and things like that. And so there was hardly, there was about 50 people left in that stadium, in the whole stadium. And there's Paul McCartney. 
And he said, what do you want? And he shouted <laughs> out to us. And we'd shout out songs and they'd play the songs. That was pretty... Just sitting there, 50 people on the, on the playing field, just watching them play. That was a wonderful moment. Yeah. And what are their favourite songs? Me, it's the last 40 seconds of Hello, Goodbye. That's so sweet. And we put it in the film. Yeah. It's got to be there. And it's just the most that, for me, is... It. Oh, that's so great. And for me, it was always And I Love Her and If I Fell, the two ballads off Hard Day's Night. But I did have this evening with my friends once where five of them wrote down their top 20 Beatles songs. We yeah. gave 20 points to number one, one yeah. point to number 20, added it all up, and? played in reverse from 30 upwards. The person who'd voted the most for each song had to deliver a little speech before we played the song. But, I mean, it's, it's just a world of joy and there was almost none of us where more than five of our choices in our top 20 made it into the universal top 20 so that's just the breadth the breadth of, that. The breadth of the work is so astonishing and the last question what do danny and richard hope you feel when you walk out of the cinema i hope you feel that you've been into a blazing building and rescued love really. oh. i think you have i've got this funny thing with my films which is that all the best films, all the best bits in all my films aren't by me. <laughs> so in Four Weddings, the best bit is definitely W.H. Auden. <laughs> that's not by me. And the best bit in Love Actually, I think, is the beginning and the ends and those crowds that were just Oh, at the, at the airport? Yeah, in the oh airport. And in fact, Emma edited them because we were sort of short of time. And my favourite bit of the film now is the last three minutes is Obladiobladá, which is getting older, doing your job, kids and the joy of the music and it's a lovely thought that maybe the last song expresses how i hope people they literally walk out feeling that last song which stands for so much of what i hope the movie would be yeah and that's it from richard curtis and danny boyle i'm guy garvey thank you for listening we hope you now go and see yesterday <laughs>